you're listening to a sermon from Iron City Church. We encourage you to use this podcast only as a supplement to your regular attendance or membership of a local church that faithfully preaches the gospel. If you're in Birmingham, we would love for you to visit Iron City. See more details at our website, ironcitychurch.org. What do you think the church needs above all else today? What do you think the church needs above all else today? This was the question put to Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was pastor of Westminster Chapel, a large congregation in the heart of central London where Lloyd-Jones preached and ministered for 30 years. Lloyd-Jones was a renowned preacher known for his expositional preaching. Uh, He was also president of InterVarsity Fellowship, a ministry to college students. And around 1970, Lloyd-Jones did a series of television interviews, and a Welsh broadcaster asked him this question, what do you think the church needs above all else today? Lloyd-Jones answered, she needs to be absolutely certain about her message. We need to get back to the position of Paul when he went to Corinth. I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. We mustn't be trying to preach philosophy or politics. We must go back to this New Testament message and in a congregation like this. We hear that, and most all of us say, amen. That's right. As we preached in sermons recently, we as a church have always had the same message, Christ crucified. And though Lloyd-Jones encourages us to preach exactly that, he says something immediately after that encouragement. So in the same interview, same quote, in the next sentence, Lloyd-Jones says something interesting. He says, we must go back to this New Testament message, Christ crucified, and... We must realize on top of that, that without the power and demonstration of the Holy Spirit, even the preaching of that message will be in vain. The good doctor says, that is what I believe is absolutely essential today. As Paul puts it in writing to the Thessalonians, our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power. And in the Holy Ghost and with much assurance, he says in this grovelly Welsh accent, that's the essential need, end quote. Sir Francis Grimke, the late 19th century African-American pastor from Washington, D.C., I've been reading a lot about him lately, he says this to preachers, quote, if God wishes to use you, 
In giving a message on any particular Sabbath, you need not be concerned whether there will be few or many people present. Those for whom the message is intended will be there. God will see that they are there. All the preacher needs to be concerned about is to see that he has the message well in hand. So work hard, study hard. All the preacher needs to be concerned about is to see that he has the message well in hand and... And that in the giving of that message, he has the unction from on high, the accompanying presence of the Holy Spirit. Beloved, friends, sisters, brothers, kids, tonight we are talking about the Holy Spirit. Turn to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians, it's on page 927 of those Black Pew Bibles. That's page 927. We're back in this letter that Paul wrote to the, the church of the Thessalonians. And this is a letter about suffering. And yet, it's also a letter about power. And I'll say more about this power in a moment. But first, you should know, especially if you're visiting, that this is the third and final sermon in a series on the mission and vision of our church. Normally, our sermons are more expositional, but in this series, we've been topically looking at different biblical texts as we think about our work as a church. And ICC members, just a heads up, this will be my last sermon uh, before I start paternity leave on Wednesday. And when I come back in a few weeks, Lord willing, we'll pick it back up walking expositionally through the book of Mark. And just a friendly reminder, you can always see what sermons are coming up by visiting the sermon schedule on our church website. So, that's what's coming up. But tonight, we're in 1 Thessalonians. Tonight, we're talking about the Spirit. In fact, tonight, we've already talked about the Spirit. We confessed a creed earlier that Christians have confessed for centuries. We joined with those saints through the ages who've said, we believe in the Holy Spirit. The Lord, the giver of life, he proceeds from the Father and the Son, and with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified. He spoke through the prophets. Beloved, the Spirit is the one in Genesis 1 who hovered over the waters. The Spirit is the one who filled Old Testament heroes like Moses, Joshua, and David. But the Spirit doesn't just fill people. He raises up people from the dead. People like Jesus, who died on the cross in the place of sinners, who would repent and believe in him. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, turn from your wicked ways and trust in Christ and live. And if you have done that, if you have trusted in Christ, remember that the same spirit who raised Christ to life, the same spirit that raised you to life, now lives in you. Romans 8 says, the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. Sisters and brothers, originally this sermon was going to be on a different text. And the sermon was going to be titled, What Will Help Us? That is, what will help us accomplish our work as a church? But as I studied 1 Thessalonians for our last sermon, it became clear that the question isn't so much what will help us, 
but who will help us? And the answer is the Spirit of God. Let's look at 1 Thessalonians now. Last time we were in this book, we looked at a few verses in the introduction. And we said that Paul is writing to the Thessalonians who were doing well. By God's grace, they were living faithfully, despite the fact that they had many trials and afflictions. And this leads us up to our verses for tonight, verses 4 and 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. Look with me. Paul writes saying, For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. This is the word of the Lord. Just quickly on that last line about what kind of men we proved to be among you. Uh, later you can read 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 uh, where Paul has this beautiful section describing his ministry among the Thessalonians. Uh, in that section, Paul basically says he and his crew have loved the Thessalonians like a mother and led them like a father. That's good stuff for you to read later. But who I want to focus on in these verses is not Paul and his crew, but that power, that spirit Paul spoke of. Beloved, I have three exhortations for us in light of verses four and five. Here's the first. Let's remember who we need. Point number one, let's remember who we, Iron City Church, need. You might be wondering, why are we talking about the Spirit tonight? Beloved, we're talking about him because these last couple of weeks we've been talking about our church's mission and vision, the work the Lord has given us to do as a church. We've talked about what that work is and what success in it looks like, and yet I wouldn't like to make it as plain as day that all that we've talked about these last few weeks, all that we do or try to do as a church, all that I do, all that I say, all that you do, all that you say, all of it will be for naught. It will matter zilch. It will be completely ineffective unless the Holy Spirit blesses it. Unless the Holy Spirit does it, it will not be done. Didn't we hear it last week? Unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain. Beloved, may this church never grow drunk on its own success, accomplishments, size, diversity, ministry initiatives, and or any other effort that we might be tempted to take pride in. No, beloved, may we always be what we always are, needy for God's spirit, a spirit-dependent church. And so, beloved, we're talking about the spirit because it's so easy to forget our desperate need for the spirit. After all, we said a few weeks ago, we have the same message, right? The scriptures that are centered upon Christ crucified. And it's easy, especially among the more reformed among us, to think, oh, we have all we need. 
Oh, we have the Bible. And that's true. Praise God. But we also need the Spirit of God to illumine the Bible for us, to open our eyes to the truth of God. Friends, without that illumination, we are still in the dark. Without that illumination, we will become yet another group of cultural, southern, nominal Christians who have the book of God, but not the spirit of God that breathed that book. Sisters and brothers, wasn't it Jesus who said to the Pharisees, the people who had the scriptures, they had them memorized, they had the scrolls, they were Bible people. Wasn't it Jesus who said to them, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is those very scriptures that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Who isn't it a fearful thing to have the scriptures but not the Savior? To have a church but no life. Beloved, a church may have the Bible, but if it doesn't have the Spirit, it is nothing but a graveyard. Friends, it is the Spirit of God who gives life. Words on pages aren't enough. I mean, look at our text. Paul says in verse 5, Our gospel came to you, watch this, not only in word, but in power and in the Holy Spirit. Friends, I wish it were as simple as me reading the words and you believing the words. But as, but as any parent evangelizing their kid knows, something has to happen. Better yet, someone has to happen. Someone has to regenerate that heart upon which the word is falling. Someone has to, or someone has to take the seed that's in a regenerate heart and grow it. In other words, faith is not an automatic thing that we can produce in someone else or even ourselves if we just try hard enough. And yet, how often do we just try to will faith into being? Like, come on, Isaac, just believe. Instead of praying, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Friends, you, your neighbors, your children, you're not machines you can just plug biblical code into and voila, faith, holiness. But how often do we think, I just got to, I just got to put in the right biblical code. A pastor named Ray Ortland commenting on this verse said, not even gospel words. Notice Paul said, our gospel, the most biblical message he had, our gospel came to you, but not even gospel words, says Ray Ortland, were expected to work this way. Uh, Pastor Ortland says, too often we regard God's power as an added ingredient that turbocharges our own efforts. The early church, however, did not think this, this way. They thought of God's power as a miraculous intervention without which they were dead in the water. Not even gospel words were expected to work in an automatic way. Beloved, we as a young church have to remember this. 
Because it is so tempting, especially when you're young, coming out of college, to want an automatic faith. To say, give me the formula. Give me the answers. Give me the directions. And on one level, it's good to seek wisdom. Ah, but it is the wise who understand that there are inescapable ambiguities in this whole following Jesus thing. So, make sure your wisdom leaves room for the Spirit to work and to grow things as he sees fit. How did Jesus put it? The kingdom of God is as if a farmer should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. The farmer knows not how. The wind blows wherever it pleases, and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Friends, the Spirit produces life in ways we cannot see or comprehend. Do you want an automatic faith, beloved? Do you want an automatic church? Your elders, church family, had a good elders meeting this past Wednesday. We went through our church bylaws line by line. We think and pray that we have some good ideas of how we can involve you the congregation in exercising your voice when it comes to acting in accord with those bylaws. So be on the lookout for more information about that at our next members meeting. Our church constitution and bylaws spell out what we are as a church and how we operate our system of church government. They're very useful to read. Uh, Members, they're in the member section of the website. And yet, we have to remember that there's lots of forms of church government. And while we think our form of church government is the most faithful to Scripture, it's crucial to remember that the bylaws, even the most rightly delineated and ordered ones, do not produce life in a church. A Baptist preacher, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, once said, it seems to me That the most scriptural system of church government is, how would you finish that sentence? Baptist, Presbyterian, Methodist, Congregational, non-denom. Spurgeon says, it seems to me that the most scriptural system of church government is that which requires the most prayer, the most faith and the most piety to keep it going. He continues saying, the church of God was never meant to be an automation. If it were, the wheels would all act by themselves. The church, however, was meant to be a living thing, a living person, and as the person cannot be supported if life is absent, or if food is kept back, or if breath is suspended, so it should be with the church. Beloved, Let us remember who we need for life, for power in this place. Not just a book, not just some bylaws, not just some knowledge, but the Holy Spirit of God. Amen? He's the power. Amen? 
We talked about weakness a lot in our last sermon, but do not think that means we Christians should be uninterested in or undesirous of power. Not worldly power, but godly power, the power of God. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control, 2 Timothy 1 says. Beloved, we want the spirit of God, the power of God to be so evident in this place, so at work in and among us that an unbeliever could come off the street, be convicted and declare that God really is among these people. Do we have that kind of church? Do you pray for that kind of church? Do you expect that kind of church? I was talking with Pastor Dustin about this. And side note, let me just say thank you for the renovated offices downstairs. Dustin and I were in the office this past week. We bumped into each other and just struck up a conversation about what we're preaching this week. It was a conversation we wouldn't have otherwise had without the offices. I would not have thought to pick up the phone and call, call Dustin and just say, hey, any thoughts about the Holy Spirit today? But since we were seeing each other, this came up naturally. So thank you for the offices. Okay, sidebar over. Dustin mentioned to me how there's a lot of people out there. And a lot of, a lot of people out there are decent. Yes, all people have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But there's a lot of decent people out there. So much so that if we're not careful, we ourselves can be tempted to gather here at four o'clock and seem decent and respectable and natural. But beloved, we are not trying to just look like an organization of decent people that's no different than the local Rotary Club or any nat other natural man-made group that gathers together regardless of whether God's spirit is there or not. No, we're trying to be a supernatural group of people that displays that God really is among us, that his power really is at work within us. Would you pray for that? I'm tempted to just stop this sermon right now and just pray for the rest of the night, but I'm not going to do that, or at least I'm not going to do it yet. I will, however, give you one more piece of Ratcliffe wisdom before I move on to my next point, and it's this. We live in a world that is desperate for power. Everyone's reaching for it, striving for it. But here's the thing. People in the world look within for that power. And maybe that works for a little while. But it eventually gives way to weariness and to frustration and to emptiness. Beloved, this is the bitter fruit. People are eating as they look within for power. And this means we have such an opportunity. Beloved, that there is a power-starved world out there can only mean one thing. It is a great time to be a Christian. I mean, think about how important it is for self-reliant people to see us depend not on ourselves, but on God's spirit. Friends, right now, there is a world, there are some of your adult children, there are some of your young children who are depending on anything and 
anyone but the Spirit of God. They are depending on power from within. What do they need most from us? They need to see us dependent on power from above. They need to see us depending on God, filled with the Spirit, strong in the Spirit, praying in the Spirit. One biblical counselor was counseling parents with a wayward child, and he said, this model, depending on God in a visible way, has greater potential of drawing and attracting your son to Christ than any principles or steps or formula I could ever suggest. Beloved, when it comes to life in this place, there are no formulas. There are no automations. There are only jars of clay that display the power of God or jars of steel that pretend as if they're not cracked and merely only play Christian. Which are we going to be? Hmm? Y'all choose. Y'all decide. Choose right now. Choose you this day whom you shall serve. Iron City family, we as a church are either going to be a bunch of decent, nice Christians who act as if we have it all together, or we're going to continue to be cracked jars of clay who through much affliction display the joy and power of the Spirit of God whom we so desperately rely on and need. Which is it, Iron City Church? I think we want the latter. I praise God. We want the latter. And if we want the latter, should we not then ask God for it? You have not because you ask not. Beloved, we're going to pray. Here's the deal. I said this sermon had three points, and it did. But I'm just going to summarize the last two. And then we're going to burn it down in prayer. Because we're not here to sit all nice and decent and listen to words on the page. We're here to depend on God's Spirit. And sometimes we got to shake things up lest we start depending on our routines more than our God's Spirit. So we're going to do some more congregational prayer in a moment. You feel free to get on your knees, get on your face. You don't have to. It doesn't make you godlier. So you don't have to get on your knees or your face, but you are free and welcome to. We're going to pray. And then I'll lead us in taking the Lord's Supper. And we're going to cut one on the songs on the back end as well, so we have more time for prayer. Uh, before we pray, though, uh, let me just summarize the last two points of this sermon. Because they were really good. Just kidding. There's no formulas. But yeah, okay, point number one, let's remember who we need. Point number two, let's remember who loves us. Let's remember who loves us. Originally, the second point was going to be, let's remember who we love, right? I want to mirror my points, who we need, who we love. But that's not what the text says. 
Look back at verse 4, 1 Thessalonians 1.4. It says, for we know, brothers and sisters, watch this, loved by God. Beloved, this is why I call you beloved. A church is not just a community of people. It's a community of loved people. So let's remember who loves us. In our staff meeting this past week, our sister Jane Quedon highlighted this point. Uh, just so you know, at the beginning of every staff meeting, Tuesday mornings, we read the sermon text and we just go around the table and praise God for something we see in the passage. So before we talk about any work, we talk about God. And Jane praised God for loving us, sister, brother, you are loved. That's what you are. Your mind and heart will tell you that you are so many things. God's spirit says you are loved. Is that how you view and relate to others in this church? That they are someone loved by God? A pastor once said some words that have haunted me. He said, I think when we get to heaven, one thing we'll realize is how hard we were on each other. How we treated each other. Not as people who God loves, but as people who God is okay with. As people who God is acquainted with. But the Spirit says, Christian, God loves you. And he loves that church member who gets on your last nerve, but for whom his son shed his blood. Beloved, Jesus loves them. Are you okay with the fact that God loves people you don't like? Friend, if God who is always holy, always just and right, can love that person, then you, who are not always holy, not always just, not always right, can love them too. Sister and brothers, I, I don't know really how else to say it. you got to drop all those judgments you've made about someone in this church. Or if you have beef with someone in this church, you need to work it out. Because you are called to love them. Regardless of whether they have loved you, they are worthy of your love, as Matt Martin said to us a couple of weeks ago. But maybe we don't need Matt's words. How does John put it? In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Beloved, the first fruit of the Spirit is love. Romans 5 says, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. As Cam said last week, God gives to his beloved rest. Beloved, you are loved. And I know this is a summary of this point, but I just got to say, <clears throat> I wish you could understand it. I wish I could adequately, adequately describe it. My affection for my kids 
Thank you for that prayer, Brittany. For, for Avit, for Teddy, for Mabel, for number four, keeping us on our toes. I'm at the stage in life where I now cry at movies. I just get weepy. It could be the cheesiest movie. It matters not. Recently, I went to the movies by myself. Now, that's one thing I do to relax. I just go sit in a dark room with my phone off and a silver screen. And I saw this movie that reminded me of how much I love my kids. Christian, that is how God feels about you all the time. Regardless of what you feel about him or what you think he feels about you, that is how he feels about you all the time. Remember who loves you. That's point two. And point three is this. Let's remember who is worthy. Point number three, remember who is worthy. Beloved, a pillar of our church is that we are for God's glory. And if he is the one who builds the house, then he is the one who deserves the glory. So to be clear, relying on the spirit, it should produce great confidence. I don't have to get up here and convince you. God's spirit will do the convincing. I just got to be faithful. I can rest assured that if God will build it, whatever it is will be built. So spirit dependency produces godly confidence. It should, however, also produce godly humility. Godly humility. Friends, how can we take credit for anything? If we water or plant, but God gives the growth then he's the one who gets the praise. And so spirit dependency should produce great humility. God is worthy of the glory. And God is worthy of our waiting. I'll end with this. God is worthy of our waiting. Beloved, you might not have realized this, but God's spirit has the right to be on a different schedule than your schedule. And often what that means is we got to wait on the Lord. I've mentioned a lot of different texts about the Spirit, but you can't have a sermon on the Spirit and not mention Pentecost, right? But did you know Pentecost didn't happen overnight? No, Jesus was raised from the dead, ascended to heaven, and then the disciples had to wait for a while for the Helper to come. But we Americans don't like waiting. We've been too well discipled by Amazon Prime. We'd rather do stuff, even if it's stuff for Jesus. We just want to hurry up and get it done and do the work. But a theologian named Francis Schaeffer describes how doing the Lord's work in the Lord's way requires waiting upon the Lord's spirit. He says, quote, doing the Lord's work in the Lord's way is not a matter of being saved and then simply working hard. After Jesus ascended, the disciples waited quietly in prayer for the coming of his spirit. Their first motion was not toward activism. Christ has risen, now let us be busy. Though they looked at the world with Christ's compassion, they obeyed his clear command to wait before they witnessed. 
If we who are Christians and therefore indwelt by the Spirit are to preach to our generation with tongues of fire, we must also have something more than an activism which men can so easily duplicate. We must know something of the power of the Holy Spirit. End quote. Beloved, let's remember who we need. Let's remember who loves us. And let's remember who is worthy of the glory and of our waiting. And in light of that, as I mentioned earlier, we're going to stop the sermon and rely on the Spirit now in more congregational prayer. So, I'm going to call on some of you.